Hello and welcome into the Take 10 Podcast. This is Alex for Big Ten Network, and today's guests are Michigan fullback Ben Mason and Big Ten Network Manager Research Harold Shelton. Let's get into it. Take a look, listen, and enjoy. Look at here, look at here. With the catch, the finish! All right, we'll get to Ben Mason in just a second, but first a word from our sponsor, Northwestern University's School of Professional Studies. If you've ever thought about a career in sports, check out the master's program in sports administration at Northwestern University. You can build your skill set and your network in evening or online classes. Find out more at sps.northwestern.edu sports. Shout out to Northwestern SPS as always. Check out that master's program if you want to work in the sports industry work at a place like BTN, definitely check it out. All right, get to Ben Mason now. Former Michigan fullback, H-back, defensive lineman, do-it-all type football guy. Fun chat with him about prepping for the NFL draft, some Michigan memories, being an overall versatile player, guy you can put anywhere on the field, special teams, etc. And we'll let him take the discussion from here. To take ten podcast chat with Ben Mason. All right, I'm very pleased to be joined by former Michigan fullback, H back, you know, defensive lineman, jack of all trades type of guy. It's Ben Mason. Ben, how are you, man? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. So it's April right now. You know, for prospects like yourself, it's kind of a stage of limbo in your career. People who just left school. So take us through what it's like prepping for the next level, NFL draft. How's it going? Where are you working out right now? And just let us know what this kind of stage in your career is like. Yeah, it's going really well. Uh, when I think about it, I kind of look at this as just a, like any other point in my career. At the end of the day, I'm just preparing to play football. A lot of people put a lot of stress around the draft, and uh, I'm definitely really excited for it. But uh, when it comes down to it, the team that, that takes you, you're going to end up playing football for that team. and. That's, that's what I've kept in mind throughout this whole process when uh, we were preparing for our pro days and uh, the senior bowl. So it, this is about football. So at the end of the day, I'm prepared, and I can't wait to, to find out where I get to go. But I, I'm training back home in Connecticut right now with my, my trainer from high school. Awesome, yeah. So, you know, for people like myself who are kind of football illiterate when it comes to, like, the X's and O's, tell us what the HPAC – position is all about um describe you know what goes into that role and where you see that fitting in at the next level yeah so the eight back position is like an off the ball tight end uh, a lot of people call it like the move tight end which basically you can play in a variety of alignments whether that's in the hip of the tight end on the line as a tight end or uh even a little bit out further in the slot or in the backfield as well so uh, an H-back is someone who's extremely versatile and can do a lot of different things from blocking to uh, playing in the backfield to, to catching the ball on short intermediate routes and uh, some corners, uh, just different routes like that. So uh, the H-back is definitely a versatile position, and that's something that I, I pride myself on being. But 
Uh, H-back and fullback are interchangeable depending on the offense. So you mentioned that versatility. I know you trans, uh, transitioned to a defensive position at a certain point in your career at Michigan, also played defense in high school, then went back to offense in that, that fullback, H-back position. Like, was this as big of a disruption to your everyday kind of football life as it sounds? Like, to me, it sounds like it'd be moving to a different planet. So, like, how big of a shift was that? And are you glad that you kind of have that experience on both sides of the ball now that you, you know, will have to contribute in the league? Definitely. If you ask me coming out of high school if I would have ever played defensive tackle in my career, I would probably said you're crazy. But uh, that's that's what the team needed at the time. And looking back at it, I think it was a really helpful experience because every single day I was going up against guys like Cesar Ruiz, Michael Wainu, John Runyon, uh, Jalen Mayfield, Ben Bredesen, uh, guys like that every single day in practice. And uh, just from like a leverage perspective, it made me a much better football player because uh, when you're taking on 600, 650 pound double teams, uh, that, that makes me look at going up to, to block a, a safety in a, a, in a run fit or a linebacker or a defensive end a lot differently. And it just feels a lot different. And I, I felt that this year on, back on the offensive side of the ball. But I'm extremely thankful for, for that experience. It, it made me a better football player. For sure. And, you know, with the modern NFL, uh, the fullback position is definitely narrowed in specialty across the league. There are some teams that definitely utilize it in some some high-profile names. So how do you see, you know, yourself with Ben Mason and your skill set fitting in in the NFL? And, and where on the field can you contribute, do you believe? Wherever they need me to contribute. Uh, I'm a big special teams contributor. Can, can play on all four phases. And then on the offensive side of the ball, uh, I'm a fullback, H-back, wherever you want to put me. So uh, I can really fit into any offense that an offensive coordinator wants to put me in. All right, so you were known, uh, besides your tough play on the field, for kind of the art of hurdling guys in college. You know, you had some memorable ones in your career, made more memorable, I think, by the fact that you're a pretty big dude, you know, getting all that weight up in the air. So kind of dissect the art of a hurdle, you know, when you decide you're going to do it, when you see guys coming at you, what goes into it, man? Yeah, so back when I was in high school, uh, my high school running back coach, his name's Ty Tarantino, uh, his father actually came up to me uh, after one of my games. I kind of got, like, chopped down uh, at the ankles and got, like, ankle tackled in the open field. And and he was like, why don't you try hurdling over them? So uh, yeah, I kind of put that thought into my head. And then that was probably my junior, sophomore, junior year of high school. And then from like, from there on, like junior year, I just put that tool in my toolbox. And uh, that's really what it is. It's not something that you really think about doing. Uh, it's just more reaction. And when you see someone coming low, then it's just another counter that you have on top of running them over. So uh, it's just a nice tool to have. For sure. And besides those hurdles, you know, those are the highlight plays. When you reflect now at a period of your football career that's over at Michigan, what is a memory or two that you kind of hold on to that surfaces as you start to look back on things in Ann Arbor? Yeah, definitely. I mean, there's a lot of experiences on the field that I'll always remember, whether it was uh, our great game against Notre Dame my junior year in the rain. That was a, a really fun, fun game to be a part of and great win for Michigan. But one of the all-time things about being a Michigan football player is just the people that you get to surround yourself with. And 
not that's not only the coaches, but the the GAs and the other players in the locker room as well. And I'm I'm really gonna miss and I cherish the times that I had in Ann Arbor with all those different people because uh, whether it was in the locker room, uh, after practice, just talking, watching film, uh, in the ice bath, whatever it was, uh, there's a lot of great experiences and great, great things that I learned about people and learned about the game in my time in Schembecker Hall. So I'll definitely cherish all those experiences. Absolutely. And, and, you know, I'm not sure this might be fishing for an answer here. So be honest with it, but as a fullback, you know, as a football guy, would you rather get the call yourself, get and run, you know, for a touchdown yourself or pancake someone plow the road on, on the way to a touchdown? 100% pancake somebody. Why is that? Definitely. I mean, scoring touchdowns are nice, and if they call your number, you got to be ready and score for the team. But there's no better feeling than leading up on a middle linebacker and knocking them over. All right, I feel like that's why, a big reason why you're two-time recipient, according to your bio, um, of the team's toughest player award. So, question, how does one win the team's toughest player award, and then how did you not win it in the other two years? Like, what what, what was going on those years when you weren't uh, as tough as the other two? Yeah, so uh, my senior year, there was no, like, awards given out, so that explains that. But uh, the team's toughest player award always goes to a guy named Ben. Uh, my my freshman year went to me, sophomore year went to Ben Bredesen, and junior year went to me. So that's that's kind of how I would explain it. I think Ben's kind of a a name that uh, it's short, it's pretty generic, and I would say it's just a pretty tough name. So uh, yeah, Ben Bredesen's a pretty tough guy too. So uh, and, and kind of how I want it, it's just coming in every day and being the same person. Uh, that you are and really not changing no matter what the circumstances. For sure. And you mentioned Ben Bredesen is one of those guys you lined up across um, and all those, you know, studs that you lined up across at Michigan. So I'm wondering, just thinking back to your big 10 football days, who are some other guys that you remember facing off against, whether you, you know, your knuckles are in the dirt on offense or defense that the type you might see like on Sundays in the league, who are some guys that you remember you looked across and you're like, all right, this will be a fun challenge to take on. This dude is a beast. Yeah, definitely. Um, as far as players that are still there right now, number 40 from Penn State is definitely a really good player. Uh, I see him doing a lot of great things on the field, and I think that's going to continue on for him. And then uh, number 52 from Iowa uh, a couple years ago, he was a special teams player, and he's always running down there like a, a madman and just a, a really good player and somebody that as a football player, you got to admire somebody who plays like that because, uh, like I said, he was really only a special teamer. But uh, every single year that we played against Iowa, you would notice him on the tape because just of the effort and the attitude that he played with. And I don't know if you're an NFL fan like myself or if you model your game after anyone in the NFL, but who are some fullbacks you look up to in the league, past or present? You know, it could be retired or could be currently going that – you would maybe, you know, want your career trajectory to follow that path and, and look up to? Yeah, so the key to being a fullback is just uh, being as versatile as possible. So I I look at a little bit of everyone's game. Uh, as far as some someone who I specifically look after, uh, definitely a guy like Anthony Sherman. I mean, he's just finishing up his career now, just ended up retiring with the Chiefs, and uh, 
He's also a Northeast guy too, which uh, I admire. I'm from Massachusetts originally, and I actually watched him play a little bit in high school. Uh, he was over at North Atterbury High School, but uh, just he played in the league for a really long time, uh, took special teams to heart and found his way on teams and then contributed at fullback and did whatever was asked of him. And I think uh, in, in today's game, when you can make uh, an impact on games and uh, be a guy who's going to go in there, move people and also an outlet as a receiver and also be able to get a, some tough yards in the run game. That's exactly what you want to be in the full, as a fullback. And that's exactly what Anthony Sherman was. And uh, I also really like his haircut. He had a mohawk, and that's something that I've done ever since I was six. So I, I look up to that as well. Yeah, last time we met, I remember you had the mohawk. I was a little uh, curious, you know, why no mohawk this time? But you do, for people watching on YouTube – you do have the sweet stash going on. So so is that going to be something that sticks? And is the Mohawk coming back? Yeah, I've done the Mohawk every football season since I was six. But during the off season, I just cut it off. How about the stash? Where, when did this start? Uh, I usually do a Fu Manchu, but I messed up shaving a little and accidentally nicked it. It was going a little bit too fast and uh, had to shave it off. All right. What about draft weekend? What, what kind of look are you going to be rocking? Anything special? This is a normal look. It's just a normal day. And uh, that's really how I look at uh, the draft. I mean, it's really a culmination of all these years uh, of hard work and dedication all, all built up into to one day. Yeah, I love the, the straight-up football guy answer there. Ben, last question. Um, you know, I, when I visit Ann Arbor, I, I love their restaurant scene, some, some good places to eat there, I'm sure. You know, as a, as a fullback, you got to stay well-fed. So I'm going to give you three categories about places to eat at Michigan. The first one is the best place, you know, when your family comes in town, parents come in town. Where are you taking them? Because you know they're footing the bill, and you know, you know it might be a little out of the price range of college students. You talk about footing the bill, I 100% say the Chop House. Uh, I like Ruth Chris a lot as well. I, I like the way that their steaks are seasoned, but in terms of the overall meal, I would 100% have to say Chop House. Uh, I really, I actually crave their cream spinach. It's unbelievable. All right. Best late night food in Ann Arbor? Um, probably a protein shake somewhere. All right. And then what's like the go-to consistently the best, you know, day in, day out, you can always rely on this place to grab a good bite to eat? Uh. I, I have to say Neapopolis. It's a, a pizza place in town. And I, I probably went there my freshman and sophomore year. I would go there probably like every single, every day or every other day because um, when, when I didn't really have like a kitchen or anything, they, they literally have everything. They have the cleanest salads in the world. Like, it's just all organic, fresh stuff. And then uh, the pizzas are really good, too, as well as the sandwiches. Like, I, I would have to recommend them. It's unbelievable. All right. Well, next time, you know, you go back there, maybe it'll be it's an NFL vet, you know, homecoming, something like that. Uh, so we're excited to see where you end up. Excited to follow your career. That's all I got for you, Ben. This has been fun, man. Appreciate you jumping on, and, and good luck in the next uh, exciting few weeks here. Thank you. All right, thanks to Ben for taking some time from his draft training, 
from his day-to-day rituals to join the show. Definitely a stressful time, I'd imagine, you know, even though these guys are kind of conditioned for it. But coming up on it now, about a week away from the NFL draft, and the guys' lives are about to change forever. Always like taking this period to talk to you know, either prospects or people who have went through it. It's a good time to have football guests on, a lot of NFL players sitting around with not much to do, a lot of draft prospects who are doing the media rounds anyway and, and uh, you know, make some time to come on the show. So appreciate Ben for doing that and appreciate him for sharing some stories from his time with the Wolverines. All right, we'll get to manager research Harold Shelton now. If you have not listened to the show or if you're unfamiliar, Harold comes on once in a while, um, usually every episode these days, to break down what's going on in men's basketball and football. Since those sports are not in season right now, we're trying to mix it up with some topics, either talk historic teams, talk some uh, you know hypotheticals. Uh, we definitely do during the offseason talk, you know, either like spring games or NFL draft or transfer portal for basketball as well. This week we're talking mostly scheduling in football and men's basketball and some hypothetical matchups we'd want to see. So we talk about why they'd be intriguing, enticing, why some programs would be good fits to play each other, and a little more fun discussion around the fringes um, this week. So we will get right to it. Let's take 10 podcast discussion with Harold Shelton. All right, very pleased to be rejoined. Getting back in a regular rhythm here. It's been a few weeks in a row, so glad that that's the case. Rejoined by Harold Shelton, Big Ten Network Manager of Research. H, what's up, man? How are you? Good, man. You know, it's uh, it's April, and I'm looking out my window, and I've seen snow flurries, and I'm not too thrilled about that, but I feel like this will be the last one before we can get summertime shotgun. Yeah, Big Ten country, I think, is, for the most part, uh, had some sort of snow affected in the last few days and this has like been a, a, a pattern the last few aprils i feel like mm-hmm. um i feel like cubs games were getting snowed out i know there was one snowy day in the early days of covid last year in april when i woke up and it was just like a completely you know alternate universe waking up in um and sure enough this year we get another uh you know last dying breath of winter before like you said the summertime shy kicks into full gear we've got a taste of that as well like it's been some nice weekends not gonna lie yeah absolutely and i mean if I've got to deal with a you know 37 degree day today, knowing I'm going to get some 50s and 60s coming up, I'll take it. Especially considering the February that we had, so we're we're long overdue for some good weather, that's for sure. For sure, and like late April, you know that always means now for me NFL draft. I'm not going to lie, I used to be a uh, you know kind of anti NFL draft guy growing up because I thought it was just so oversaturated. Um, and and now I love it. Like I, I don't know if it's because of fantasy football or because of the nature of my job. Like we we do a lot with the NFL draft. I I don't know. I just become a much bigger um, fan of the NFL offseason in the last you know five to six years, and and I'm all about it now. So it's that time of year. I know you know it's got us busier than normal in the offseason. Um, so you know how how you feeling about I guess nine ten days out? Is your prep all all done, or are you good to go? Yeah, my prep's all done. It's funny because I'm exactly the opposite of how you feel about the draft. Um, I remember growing up and being in college and like I would literally, you know, go out and we get food and we get drinks and, you know, because the draft was just one day at that point. It was all day Saturday. And so you're out and, you know, you're just getting after it. It was usually NBA playoffs that same day. So it was like a big event, big like a big deal for that day. 
And I think once I got into the industry and I was surrounded by it, like nonstop 24-7 talk of it, it was kind of like, okay, the draft, the draft, the draft. But like, it's still a cool event. I enjoy kind of seeing the guys, especially on day three, like get the shots that you've been following, especially in Big Ten country and stuff like that. So uh, my prep's all done. You know, I, I sent a bunch of, or maybe 250 some odd things to digital. Uh, so we should be good to go when that time comes. Yeah, I think part of it too is like I'm in a, a dynasty fantasy league now, and, and these people are, these folks are serious. They like are oh, sending yeah. trades in January. And and so I have to be on top of it now because, you know, there's a little shame in it, but I was in last place in my debut year last year. I've always been fantasy, fantasy every year, but like dynasty, you know, that that's, that's a little different where we're trading picks and stuff. So I do have like, I, I basically started tanking when I, I realized, I, you know, Christian McCaffrey was hurt and I wasn't going to have a good season. So now I got three first round picks. So I got to like really stay on top of this, but nobody likes to hear about guys, fantasy teams or, or folks, fantasy teams. So I'm going to cut it off right there. Um, and, you know, we can talk a little bit more about the draft, uh, at least uh, in an adjacent fashion, because we do have Ben Mason on this show. He was the guest this week. He's prepping for the NFL draft, could be drafted for sure. Um, I think Belichick is kind of salivating looking at a guy like that to, to place all over the field as a, as a utility player, jack-of-all-trades type guy. Um, so what are your thoughts on Ben Mason? We're, we, you know, we do this where we let you offer and weigh in on our guests. Uh, what do you remember about the big burly dude from Michigan? Is he, I feel like he had a really interesting career. Um, I remember him you know, kind of starting out as a fullback. There are times where he would be the goal line tailback for them. Uh, you know, he was kind of the guy when Michigan had it going there in 2018 where he wanted to wear you down late in games where it's a big third and one, third and two. You know, they line up in that jumbo. You know it's coming. You still can't stop it. And, you know, he runs over you, falls forward, gets first down or gets into the end zone. Uh, he moved a linebacker for a bit. Um, but, you know, I wouldn't say the success rate was the same, but it just kind of goes to show you he's athletic enough to try to do both. Um, and, you know, obviously fullbacks in the Big Ten, it's kind of a last of a dying breed. You don't really see too many of them. Uh, they're usually crazy. <laughs> um, you know, you think of like a guy like Owen Schmidt, who played at West Virginia, always tried to smash somebody's face mask in, always had blood dripping down his forehead. Ben Mason kind of seems like that type of guy. Um, I'll be curious to see where he uh, winds up in the draft or a free agency. Yeah, Mike Allstott was the guy I always played with on Madden growing up. Back in his Bucks glory days and watching his Purdue highlights are hilarious. He had like the cowboy collar, the the comically large shoulder pads. And then, you know, like you said, it is kind of a dying breed, but there are examples in the NFL. I always think of Yusjuk on um the Niners. Yep, yep. Yeah, who uh is stealing, you know, always steals my fantasy players' touchdowns, guys like that. Vitali is a guy, I believe he's a Big Ten guy, right? Danny Vitali. Yep. yep, yep. So guys like that, um, you know, who who pop up in the league and just find a niche, find a role. So we'll see if Ben can, can do the same. Uh, you know, like we said, he's got the, he's got the intangibles for it. So, uh, and talking to him, he has a, he has a true football guy. So it'll be interesting to see, but I know, you know, you can't be too nice because he's a Michigan, Michigan grad. So. I mean, that's fair, but you know, at the same time, I still got a job to do. I still got to be fair. Um, and so I definitely remember, you know, some of the good things he did, especially with Michigan. I uh, had a rolling in that 2018 season. I know. I'm just messing around. Men, wa- men lie, <laughs> women lie, numbers don't. And H is the best. So That's my job. Cannot be biased. Okay. Um, moving on. H, before we get into our discussion this week, you know, fill in the off-season calendar with kind of topics that 
might intrigue some Big Ten fans week in, week out. We're going to talk some scheduling and, and some non-conference matchups in just a bit that we'd like to see play out in both Big Ten football and men's basketball. Um, but real quick, and this kind of goes into a scheduling discussion, but it's also a uh, topic du jour uh, about the Super League that is popping up in European soccer or European football, as they call it. And, you know, I'm not a huge soccer guy myself. I do find myself following kind of the, the news of the day. I uh, like to get into the World Cup when it happens. But I think this kind of applies to our, our discussion um, this week because, you know, I think you, you and I kind of share our frustration sometimes when college football seems to trend the way of a Super League, when it is a, a sport for the very elite, very top of, of the game, um, top programs, richest programs, and a lot of other, um, you know, very proud programs or, or people or, um, you know, coaches that or sorry, programs that don't have as much uh, institutional, you know, wealth or resources baked in get left behind. So first of all, what do you think about this concept um, of a group of teams breaking off to kind of start their own venture? Uh, I feel like it's a it's a rich get richer uh, haves and have nots become more defined. I'm not a fan of that personally. Um, but you know, a lot of times money talks in these situations. And I feel like we're already there between the power five and the group of five when it comes to like playoff and bowl selection. I mean, it's almost impossible for a group of five team to make the playoff as it currently stands. And they only get, you know, one guaranteed spot um, in the new year six to begin with. I feel like, um, you know, <clears throat> once if you do a super league kind of thing, then it just creates a bigger gap, a bigger chasm as it is. And I would hate to see that personally. You know, I think the, the best thing about sports uh, is finding an underdog and being able to root for that underdog. And I think that's why the NCAA tournament is so great. And the college football playoff has not been because it's pretty much been the same five or six teams competing for four spots. And if you wind up having this super league or whatever, I know Andy Staples wrote a really good article about it in the athletics, so please check that out. Uh, he had a list of like 15 programs that would be included in a college football Super League. Um, and those teams in alphabetical order were Alabama, Auburn, Clemson, Florida, Georgia, LSU, Michigan, Nebraska, Notre Dame, Ohio State, Oklahoma, Oregon, Penn State, Texas, and USC. And they mentioned in terms of the money, just as a, you know, a hypothetical, how much would a contract like that cost? Uh, and he asked, would it be worth $1 billion a year? Um, and the TV consultant said, oh, that's all? So this kind of goes to show you what kind of money is out there if you have something like this. However, if you did have that, I feel like you would lose more uh, the soul of the college football sport in general, which is what a Staples alluded to as well. Yeah, I feel like the athletic needs to sponsor this segment because we just keep plugging their their articles. You know, hey, right, good stuff. Weeks, Shout out to them. Two weeks in a row, just renewed my subscription, so for sure, uh, definitely appreciate. You know, the shop they got going on over at the athletic. Um, but you're right, like that's what we kind of been preaching about the college football playoff, and why I've said why I've said since I started working here that I wish it was six or eight teams, just because every year the drumbeat of the same. You know, five or six teams, how do we work these teams back into the discussion if they lose? It's always your Alabamas, Oklahomas, uh, Georgia, Clemson, Notre Dame, and then Ohio State has kind of been the Big Ten 
flag carrier. So, yes, I, I do think, you know, it, it would not be, obviously it wouldn't be good for the, the whole of college football or, or any college sport for it to trend in the direction. Obviously, dynamics are certainly different when you have professional clubs making their own decisions um, about, you know, with owner ownership and, and about what's best for, for their business model. Uh, I, I obviously don't, you know, as somebody who also likes an underdog story, don't think that what's happening across the pond is best for sports in general. But then again, you're talking about these teams and these franchises over there that a long time ago moved to not even caring about the the name on their jersey. They literally had Chevrolet and and all these sponsors and brands on the fronts of their jerseys. And, and half the time, you know, it it's, has nothing to do with the, the teams on the field or, like, isn't even local. Like, it seems like in the NBA with the jersey patches, which, you know, is a debatable um, venture – Usually it's a local, you right. know, type brand like Loves is the Oklahoma City Thunder. Um, you know, that's a pretty local, I feel like, a regional type brand. Um, so, you know, you're talking definitely different levels to this because it is such a business in, in global soccer as opposed to college football. And I don't think that this would happen. Um, but, you know, it, it, it is interesting just to see the trends, like we said, of big brands getting richer and richer and more powerful always having a seat at the table. And, I, you know, I just really hope that that we can curb this a little bit by college football playoff expanding. And you're right. That's why I, I, I do prefer the NCAA tournament um, because of the parity and, and just the teams and programs popping up that we don't normally see. Yeah, exactly. And the thing is, I know everybody makes these uh, arguments. Well, the regular season has to matter. And if you open it up more, does it really matter? And I look at the NCAA tournament and I think more often than not, I'd say probably 90% of the time, the cream rises to the to the top. So if you're one of the best teams, you're going to be there at the end, no matter what. We saw that with Gonzaga and Baylor all year. Everybody thought those were the two best teams. And lo and behold, they wind up playing each other for the championship. A one seed usually always wins this tournament. And if it's not a one, then it's a two. But early on, you get to see an Oral Roberts make a run. You get to see an 11 seed make the Final Four. You get a lot of chaos early, but then you get the cream rising to the top to play for the title at the end. And if, if college football had the same thing, if Alabama's the one and it opens up to eight and they play, you know, the Boise or BYU or Coastal Carolina, whatever it is, then they shouldn't have a problem beating that team if they're the best. But it also allows for a team to get a seat at the table that wouldn't normally get it by their play on the field. You know, the fact that, you know, you can go 11-0, 12-0, and 13-0 and do it in a dominating fashion, and you're like, oh, congrats, you finished 10th. Like, what are we playing for? So at least give the opportunity for a champion, an undefeated champion at that, to at least play for it all. I don't think that's asking for too much. Yep. People can see on YouTube, I'm clapping into my mic right now. Um, amen. H couldn't have said it any better. And even bringing up college basketball makes me, you know, realize how much I miss it. It's only been a, two weeks since national championship game. And uh, I already missed March Madness. And we can talk transfer portal and, and a lot of these moves on the show soon. I just feel like things are still shaking out right now. So, like, I'm giving it a little time to breathe. Um so we will 
you know, talk that, talk maybe some more football once the spring games play out because we have seen those pop up on our network. Um, but right now, let's let's talk about our topic of the week, and we will cover, you know, more real-time issues once they kind of shake out and settle in our episodes here down the road. So, touched on it briefly at the top, this week's topic, as wisely suggested by you, I really like this topic, um, brought on by Indiana and Notre Dame announcing they have scheduled a home-and-home football series in the next decade. Uh, we wanted to talk about some scheduling we'd like to see and just scheduling issues in general. Uh, again, it's college football that we're critiquing here a little bit because it is such a you know uh, complicated sport. So, H, just give me your thoughts off the top about, one, Indiana and Notre Dame, kind of cool, and the idea of scheduling these into the next decade, another topic that has been talked about a lot in college football, 2030, 2031. Uh, so, you know, the excitement's going to have to wait a while. Um, I think it's really cool for Indiana to get a home-to-home with Notre Dame. I mean, we've seen Notre Dame play several Big Ten schools throughout their history. So they've had a rivalry with Purdue and State. They've had a rivalry with Michigan State that's gone, you know, 70, 80 games. They, you know, renewed the Michigan-Notre Dame rivalry. But we've never seen them really, really play Indiana. And so I think the fact that Indiana has gotten to the point where they can attract a home and home with Notre Dame just kind of goes to show the, the progress of that program and the job that Tom Allen has done. Uh, with that said, 2030, 2031, who knows where Indiana will be at that point? Who knows if Tom Allen's going to be there at that point? Who knows if the game even gets played at that point? Because there are a lot of times where a school will just pull out of a game and say, oh, well, you know, we got this other scheduled game going on or, uh, you know, our schedule's too tough. We need to dial a game back. And who knows if that game gets played. Um, another example, Colorado, Colorado State. I saw agreed to a home and home in 2037-38. Uh, some guys that aren't even born yet <laughs> will probably be playing in that game. And I think it's just crazy that the schedule uh, two games so far out like that. Um, I think college football scheduling in general is very archaic. Uh, I'm not a fan of scheduling and announcing games, you know, so far uh, into the future. Um, I think seeing like a, a BYU Coastal Carolina uh, this past season when it was like, okay, we're both, you know, really good. We're both undefeated. We're both trying to get into the playoff picture. Hey, let's schedule a game. Let's get this figured out. And they were able to figure it out. And for years, we were told, you know, all oh, these games are scheduled so far in advance. It's, you know, so hard to get, you know, additional games in. But then you see something like that and you're like, how hard is it? Or do you just not want to change it? So I think, you know, as a, you know, so hypocritical and college football, I think in general is hypocritical. But um, that's the schedule, I think, is certainly hypocritical. And, and that example shows that. Yeah, it's hard for me to get like really excited about this stuff because you said it is so far in advance. Usually, um, rarely is it something that is like in my even five year window outlook. Like I can't even look beyond five years really at this right. age. Like so, I I just you know it's an unfathomable amount of time, especially when we saw how quickly things can change. Just in the past, you know, fourteen months, who knows what's going on a decade from now. So you're right, and we had the same example written down. I had BYU and Coastal Carolina too, because that was something that I think everyone just kind of tuned in to see. It was two, you know, exciting programs on the way up. I would love for that to continue happening, especially since there's no really excuse not to. Um, that, that that's another thing, though. Like you said, college football, 
it's such a sport that goes by the way things have traditionally been done that, um, you know, removing some of that, that fear from, from coaches or athletic directors, uh, and removing those built in excuses, I think is a good thing. Um, so hopefully, like you said, like we both said, other programs follow suit and we get some, some more, especially, you know, if the college football playoff would open up, I going back to our last discussion, I think that would allow for more of these exciting matchups to happen because teams are going to try to make their case during bye weeks, during off weeks, during those, uh, you know, periods that are leading into, um, the, the selection show in December. So hopefully, like we said, that plays itself out. Uh, but Asia, I also, you know, we also had the idea to suggest some matchups that we'd both like to see these Indiana Notre Dame type matchups that are fun, either historically regionally, or just because we want to see them just for the fun of it. And I didn't want to limit it, limit it to football. So I had some basketball ones written down as well. Uh, I don't know if you wrote any down, but just off the top of your head, what do you got as far as some football matchups you might want to see teams meeting on the field and, and uh, getting after it? Um, I, I think for me, college football is always based on rivalries, right? Like everything is, is based on, you know, the 80, 90, 100 year rivalries that schools have. And the way conference realignment went, a lot of those matchups went away. And I think it would be great to see some of those get put back on the schedule as non-conference games. Maybe not every year, every two years, but maybe every four. Um, like I know Nebraska, Oklahoma is supposed to be back this year. I like to see, you know, like your, your Pitt, West Virginia's, your Texas, Texas A&M's, you know, matchups like that uh, where you're used to seeing it every year is real hatred there. Um, Say Missouri, Kansas is probably another one more so for basketball than football, uh, even though the 07 football game is probably one of the most fun games I ever watched. Uh, but just seeing matchups like that, uh, getting those fan bases uh, re-energized again to see those, I think would be great for the sport. All right, I'm going to list some that I had written down. I'll get your reaction. And some of these, like I said, are, are based on something tangible. Others are just I looked at two logos and thought that could be fun or two fan bases. So – uh, the first one I had, I want to see Clemson and Ohio State get some sort of regular, you know, regular season matchup, even though they do match up pretty regularly now in the postseason. I don't know, like, there's something I think that has developed between those two fan bases, a rivalry. Uh, the games are pretty even now, even though they were skewed toward Clemson at first. Ohio State really kind of got some payback this past year. So thoughts on matching, you know, those programs up, because it seems like they'll be around for a while. Yeah, it's kind of developed into a rivalry, right? I mean, you know, I'd say before Urban got there, the when you thought of Clemson, Ohio State, you thought of Woody Hayes' last game. And now you're thinking of, you know, two titans of the sport battling it out uh, in the playoff every year or New Year's Six every year. And so um, there's definitely animosity there, especially after Ohio State lost the previous year. And, you know, everything was about Clemson, Clemson, Clemson in the locker room. And you, you, you heard – all the stuff on social media and, and Dabo fire shots back. And so it was a lot of nastiness going into it. And I'm so glad we got to see that matchup again uh, this past season. And the way that Ohio State won, it definitely kind of validated all of the stuff that they went through the, the year before. I'd love to see that every year. All right. How about USC Michigan? Two programs that, you know, are very proud programs, traditional, historic, trying to get back to some real national prominence. 
I feel like they're both programs that have a rivalry with Notre Dame. Now let's just take out Notre Dame and have them play each other. As long as they both can wear their home jerseys, I'm good with it. You know, kind of had a UC, USC UCLA uh, with the with the color scheme yeah. there, with your with your navy blue and and, and your crimson there. Um, yeah, I think you know it's a it's a Rose Bowl matchup that we've seen several times throughout the years, um, but we don't normally see a lot of. Uh, Pac-12, Big Ten, regular season, like marquee matchups. You get a few here and there, especially now that Oregon's good uh, or has been good for a while. So you see Oregon start to play some of those. But it's been a while since, you know, USC has played uh, a Big Ten team in a regular season like that. So it'd be cool to see, you know, two gigantic brands of the sport match up like that. I had Penn State and Oregon just because of the traditionally in the last decade or so plus high-powered offenses. You got the new school uniforms versus the old school uniforms, East Coast, West Coast. I don't know. It just seems kind of fun. I'll give Oregon a lot of credit because they've they're the one that's played a bunch of Big Ten schools recently, and they were supposed to. I think Ohio State was supposed to go to Oregon uh, this past season because, of, but COVID got in the way of that. Uh, you know, Michigan State had a home and home with them recently. Uh, and so we're, we're getting more and more of those kind of matchups. I think those are really, really fun. And I think, and I'll get to this, you know, later in, in the segment, but, um, I like the interconference matchups, you know, every year we seem to have like two or three against the PAC 12, or you might get two or three against the ACC. And, you know, because the, the sample size is so small, it kind of gives you, uh, a chance to cr- to shape a narrative like, hey, if we win two of these three or we sweep these three, then we can say we're better than this league. And then that gives us all the momentum going into conference play. Um, and so, you know, that's certainly benefited us in the past. And I'd like to see more of that continue. Yeah, speaking of narrative, the Maryland-Texas one was hilarious that yes. developed over the last few years because <laughs> Maryland just kept owning Texas. Right. And... I saw this also uh, on Twitter this week. I know Dave Revson pointed out how Northwestern's narrative always seems to get slighted in the national media. I'd like to see Northwestern and Texas play uh, just because it's one program that probably doesn't get you know nearly enough credit against one that gets way too much credit and way too much hype around it. Um, I would love to see what you know what Fitz could do to torment the Longhorns. That'd be fun. That'd be a lot of fun. And that, that's, a, uh, that's a can't lose if you're Northwestern and it's a uh, damned, if you do damned, if you don't, if you're Texas, like if you lose to Northwestern, it's like, really, you lost to Northwestern. Um, not knowing, you know, based off of the narrative, Northwestern obviously has been a, a top 25-ish program for a while. Uh, but, you know, nationally, or especially in the South, if you lose to Northwestern, they're like, really, you lost to Northwestern. But if you beat them, it's like, well, you beat Northwestern, you're supposed to beat Northwestern. So it'd be a lot of fun just to kind of see you know, the, the, the arrogance of, of Texas and how that would play into a result. And that's another reason. That's one reason why, you know, a lot of these won't happen is, is the fear. But also, a lot of these southern schools don't want to come up north. Um, we saw, you know, what happened when, when one of our northern schools was supposed to go, forced to go down, not forced, but invited to go down south to play Auburn. Minnesota and Auburn, I think, was fun. Would love to see, you know, Fleck can keep up a, uh, a you know, level of play in Minnesota to – get another crack at Auburn, even though, you know, you expect them to continually have those SEC athletes and, and just an overall solid program down there. So thoughts on an Outback Bowl, you know, in the regular season? 
Yeah, we see we, we seem to see a lot of Auburn uh, versus, you know, pick your Big Ten school here in the bowl. It goes game. well for Purdue. Yeah, exactly. Like we, we've seen Auburn in the Music City Bowl. We've seen Auburn in the Outback Bowl uh, against Minnesota, Northwestern a couple of times. Uh, I'm completely with you, though. I, I'm, I need to see the SEC schools come up here. And I know LSU came up to Lambeau. August doesn't count. Yeah, exactly. But even then, like I, LSU came up here, um, you know, lost to Wisconsin at Lambeau. I remember Alabama having a home home with Penn State like maybe a decade ago. And other than that, in terms of the, the big brands, like you don't see Florida come up here. You don't see Georgia come up here. You don't see Auburn come up here. You don't see Texas A&M come up here. Those are the schools I want to see, you know, come up here repeatedly and we can have some kind of, uh, you know, battle there instead of the Big Ten schools always going down there when it's 100 degrees in August and September. Thing is, I think the fans like it. Like, I still remember that weekend that LSU played at Lambeau, which is in Green Bay, but Chicago was still flooded with Lam- with uh, LSU fans in 2016. Same with Georgia couple years ago when they played Notre Dame like Chicago gets the influx because their fans like traveling to new places and even though it's not even that close to the campuses they've been playing at like I just I, those weekends still stick out to me just because their fans were somewhere new that you don't usually see them yeah and, and that's the whole thing it's like creating a new experience um, you know every year it seems like it's you know Alabama Georgia uh, Auburn Clemson they're all playing in Atlanta to start the year or Houston or Dallas you know, or Orlando, but they're, they rarely come up here to, to play a marquee non-conference game. And I'd like to see that, whether it's Lambeau, whether it's Soldier, Lucas Oil, Fort Field, like whatever it is, like let's try to have them come up here and, and play some quality games, you know, for the reasons you just mentioned. All right, last two I had play on traditional rivalries. Uh, one is an old Big 12 rivalry that has been played the last couple of years or in recent years, and it was a lot of fun. Uh, and the other one was played, and, and you know, primarily a basketball rivalry, but did have some football matchups in recent history. So Nebraska-Colorado, for me, is always a fun matchup. It is something about, like, I don't know if it's the color scheme going on. The sun always seems to be setting in Boulder when they play there at the right time, and it's just kind of a fun matchup, high scoring. Um, I don't know. You can maybe fill me in if they have picked that back up beyond the home-and-home home they just had. Uh, and then the other one was Illinois and Mizzou, who did reschedule their football bragging rights, but I think it's not for a few more years. So thoughts on on two sort of old rivalry games, um, you know, playing out with Big 12 and former Big 12 schools? Uh, you know me, that's right up my alley. In terms of schools that used to play each other all the time, I mean, Nebraska and Colorado used to be the regular season finale for years and years and years when both were rolling. Uh it was a lot of fun then. Uh, recently, we've seen, you know, two thrillers uh, between them, you know, whether it was LaVisca Chenault catching a, a late touchdown to win in Lincoln, or whether it was the Colorado crazy comeback in Boulder, uh, you know, last couple years or a couple years ago. Uh, seeing those fan bases kind of get into it again, I think is always fun. And then I think we can kind of see something similar with Nebraska, Oklahoma uh, coming up this year. But uh, between that and, like you said, the, the Missouri-Illinois, I think is fun. You see it in basketball. You know, there's Missouri people who work at the network, and they love that bragging rights game every year. So I think if you could have it in football and basketball, I think it, you know, ups the stakes even more. And I think it'd be great to have 
Um, and to your point, it looks like 2023 and 2024, uh, Nebraska, Colorado uh, will be back uh, 23 in Boulder, 24 in Lincoln. So uh, I'm glad to see that they picked that back up. Yeah, and I think Illinois Mizzou is either in the mid-20s or late-20s. I can't remember. I could probably Google right now. But um, those were fun games I remember to attend. I went to at least a couple of them, even though Mizzou was always a little bit better and they won most of the recent matchups. And it's not on the level that the basketball rivalry is, but it's still such a close drive for both fan bases. And if both schools were on a level playing field, you know, uh, program-wise, I feel like it could be just as fun as the basketball rivalry is, and it'd be a twice-a-year thing for both fan bases um, to, you know, meet up in the summer and then in the winter right before Christmas. So those are my football ones, and I want to switch to basketball real quick. We can run through them briefly, and I want to start with your your guys, Michigan State, and, you know, we've seen the Michigan-Florida State matchups a couple times in the NCAA tournament. I want to see Michigan State and Florida State matchup. Uh, Florida State, really athletic. We see them play Indiana once or twice recently. Seems like they're always playing Big Ten teams. Um, you know, they're obviously, we get the once a year with the ACC Challenge, but I don't know. For some reason, this matchup appeals to me just with two longtime entrenched head coaches that have had really successful runs. That was an interesting one. That one didn't cross my mind, but I could see that being a lot of fun. Um, and again, it's a school that they haven't played much. Um, so I think as, as a Michigan State guy, that'd be fun to see. Um, you know, usually ACC Big Ten challenges, Duke, Carolina, and recently Virginia. Um, so having some new blood in there would be nice. Um, and like you said, Florida State, really athletic. Uh, when Michigan State's at their best, they're usually really athletic on the wing. So I think you'd see uh, a lot of high-flying stuff in that game. I think that could be a lot of fun. For sure. All right. We saw Creighton and Nebraska play. I'm thinking about Creighton versus Iowa. Um, you know, two well-off programs right now, pretty regional. Could be a fun non-conference matchup, maybe like a Gavit Games type deal. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, those are two teams that love to get up and down, shoot a lot of threes. Uh, I think the styles of play are both. Uh, would make it a lot of fun. Like you said, I think that'd be a perfect kind of Gavit games. And in that same vein in Gavit games, I was thinking Michigan State Villanova would be mm. a ton of fun. Um, and I know Tom Izzo has been dying to play at the palestra at some point. Um, and so I know he did it with, uh, I believe, with Penn State yep. a few years back and lost. But be cool if he got to do it uh, against Villanova too. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Um, all right. I know fans clamor for this all time from what I see in the – Maryland mentions Maryland and Duke getting that one, that series back going, I think is uh, something that Maryland fans will welcome. Yeah. Uh, we, we know, <laughs> we know Maryland does not like those guys. Uh, they do not like them at all. Um, and just during the tournament, it was funny seeing Maryland and Duke social media going back and forth at each other, uh, you know, with Duke missing the tournament or like it'd be the anniversary of the, the J will craziness and, you know, Maryland would fire back with this and Duke would fire back with the final four matchup. So the they haven't played each other in years. Maryland hasn't been in the league in what, seven years. And the fact that that blood is <laughs> boils that much and it's still that bad. I'd be great to see those two teams square off. All right. This one could be intriguing because of where the head coach of Rutgers came from. Rutgers, UConn. We saw Rutgers play Syracuse, uh, you know, another kind of, Interesting high major matchup this year. I want to see them face uh, Peichel's former program, you know, as both as a player and assistant coach in the Huskies. As long as it's at the Garden. 
Lonzo's it's at the guard, not that yeah. to be cool. Um, when I was at ESPN getting to see the Big East tournament up close and personal and seeing UConn take that building over um, was a sight to see. Usually it's them and Syracuse had the most fans. Uh, but also remembering records in 2018 when they made that run to the quarterfinals and the garden got really behind them goes to show that there is a nice fan base out there, especially when they're good. So with both uh, programs trending up right now, I think that could be a lot of fun. Yeah, Rutgers really makes that building loud from the games I've been, uh, even when they weren't good at all a few years ago in 2018. And then when they were on the rise in 2020, they played Michigan there and, and were, they were really rowdy. So love to see that. Um, okay, Wisconsin, Virginia is, is the next one I had written down. Uh, the Bennett connection, obviously, the, the pace of play, and I don't know, it just seems like kind of a fit. I agree on the fit. Um, I don't know how much I would enjoy watching it. I remember them playing, I want to say it was uh, the Frank Kaminsky senior year, and it was just an absolute uh, slugfest, rock, rock fight. fight, whatever you want to call it. Um, and I remember Wisconsin winning comfortably, but they only scored in the 50s, I believe. So I just think it'd be one of those games where it's great on the resume come tournament time. I don't know how... I don't know if it would appeal as much to people outside of Madison and Charlottesville. Okay, so I had it switched originally, but I switched it just for, you know, kind of the ties there. I had it switched with Purdue and Arizona. I was going to say Wisconsin, Arizona. There is, you know, history there in the NCAA tournament, but I put Purdue with Arizona. You know, even though they could have had a rematch against Virginia, I know they did uh, get a little bit of revenge against them at Mackey Arena, even though I know you'd much prefer to close out that Elite Eight game. Um, but Purdue, Arizona, you know, two deeply successful programs. Uh, one that does it the right way versus one that's in a little bit of trouble, hot water right now. Uh, I don't know. What do you think? I feel like I haven't seen these teams play before, and it would be intriguing, at least for me, to, to see in the non-conference. Yeah, and I'm, I'm a fan of rivalries, as we talked about, but I'm also a fan of something new. And so, you know, kind of dipping into Pac-12 country and, you know, playing some games out there, I think it'd be a lot of fun. Um, like it was cool. What was it Illinois went out there was it a year or two ago? Arizona's coming back too, I think, uh, next season. So. Yeah. So, you know, seeing games like that, seeing matchups you don't normally see, getting a home and home with them. Um, I think that could be a lot of fun, just kind of seeing different uh, contrasts and styles uh, when you match different leagues up like that is, is always a, a fun watch. All right. Last one I had, and I stole this from our guy, Brent Arena, uh, who just turned 40, by the way. So happy birthday to Brent. Uh, Brent. Yep. He uh, gave me some ideas and none of them matched up. Some of them were um, classic rivalries or matchups that he listed, but he at the top of his list, put Indiana, Kentucky basketball. We all know the history there. We talked about it like two weeks ago with Christian Watford on the show. So Indiana, Kentucky was the one that led off and I'm sure there aren't many people out there who uh, wouldn't want to see that come back. Yeah. I, I, when you mentioned Brent, the first thing that popped up was Indiana, Kentucky, because I know he's a big IU guy. Um, obviously, there's the Watford shot. Uh, they met in the second round, I want to say, in 2016 when Yogi was a senior and they beat him. And I remember it being a big deal then. Um, I think it'd be great to have that, honestly. Um, you know, seeing you know, two Blue Blood programs, like the original Blue Blood programs, facing off like that is always fun. It's always good TV. Um, and I think once Indiana gets back, you know, seeing that would be 
know, it'd be, it'd be must see TV even more so than it already is now. It's funny you say Brent's Indiana fan, and like apparently that was before I started working here. That was his thing. He tries to say he's not, but then even this morning we got in a uh, discussion. He's saying. Indiana basketball is definitely going to be top 25 next year with Mike Woodson and stuff. So he's just like real right back in, uh, you know, even though despite his claims otherwise. So that's funny. Um, he did have a, uh, a list that I'll just rattle off real quick and see it. Let me know if any of these jump out. Um, okay. Maryland, West Virginia football, Michigan, Notre Dame football. We've seen that Michigan state Duke. I know, you know, we've seen that and we saw it this past year. We see it in the, um, you know, the yeah. challenge, the tournament, all that. He said Nebraska versus either Oklahoma or Miami for football. I know Nebraska, Oklahoma, like we said, is coming up. And there was a great Nebraska Miami game in, uh, I think, 2014. Yeah, a couple of them. Yeah. Yep. He had Ohio State USC, which would be cool. And then Penn State Boston College. So do any of these jump off the page at you? Uh, Ohio State USC always seems fun as a. You know, Big Ten, Pac-12, you know, similar to the Michigan-USC where, you know, that would be one of the matchups you'd see all the time on New Year's. Um, so, you know, seeing that in the regular season, I think, would be a lot of fun. Uh, you know, we've talked about Nebraska-Oklahoma. I think Penn State-BC is uh, is an interesting one, kind of in a similar vein of, of Rutgers-UConn. When you think of, like, Northeast football, it's mostly uh, oh, Penn yeah. State-BC. It's like a pinstripe bowl. Yeah, it does, actually. Yeah. I actually think that happened. Uh Franklin's first or second year, but um, yeah, when you think of like Northeast football, those are two of the schools that definitely come to mind there. Um, and, you know, I feel like they, they played quite a bit when uh, Penn State was independent. Uh, I'm trying to think of some of the other ones mentioned. Yeah, Maryland, um, West Virginia football. That's like intriguing. They, yeah, they played, you know, in the past, they've had some home and homes there. Uh, you know, proximity always makes matchups like that fun. Uh, I think for Michigan State, and I'm going to kind of throw, uh, at least basketball-wise, they had a home-and-home home a while ago with Gonzaga, and it was really, really fun. And I would love to see that again. Um, there's a there's a connection there because Tom Izzo's mentor, Judd Heathcote, uh, is a Spokane guy, uh, very close to Mark Few, and that's how those two became close. And I remember they had a home-and-home like 2009, 2010, like kind of on the the reemergence of Gonzaga. And, you know, now that they're, you know, a national power again, I think seeing a game like that would be awesome. Yeah, Illinois played Gonzaga, I think, more than any Big Ten team. I just remember growing up, they always would play. Um, I, I feel like Gonzaga fans do not like to see Illinois. This, this could be total conjecture, but I do know one Gonzaga fan – and every time they match up, it's usually a either an Illinois team that has no business or very little business competing, either putting a scare in Gonzaga or beating them outright. Um, and the teams were more, I think Illinois was more on the other side uh, in the early days of, of those matchups. They would play at United Center and in, and in Seattle and things like that. Um, and Illinois was the, the established you know powerhouse at the time, and, and Gonzaga was kind of the upstart. So there's been some really good matchups. I would love to see them getting back playing the big 10 um, more often. Like the Iowa matchup was pretty cool this year. Yeah. And that's one thing, you know, got to give Gonzaga credit. Now um, I'd say at this point, they don't have to do it, but uh, more often than not, they would have to schedule those kind of games because once they got into conference play, it wasn't really a lot for them to learn or for a lot for them to lose or help their resume. So they'd have to schedule heavy 
now that they're established, they don't necessarily have to do that, but I still like that they do. So it'd be cool to see them kind of go play some other Big Ten teams. Like we said, with, with Iowa playing them in South Dakota, that game was in the 90s. It was awesome. You know, I'd love to see them play some more of, the, of our marquee teams here. All right. Good stuff, H. Had to get Brent uh, some love there because he's better than Google when it comes to asking these types of questions. You know, we'll have to get him on sometime to actually chat it up. But uh, he had some good suggestions, and like I said, man's just turned 40. So, uh, you know, you and I got a little ways to go. You a little, little not too far off. That's okay. That's okay. That's okay. We won't, you know, we won't reveal your age on here. Um, but it's been fun. Another good lengthy discussion. Gotta, you know, fill time between now and football season somehow and, and, uh, always enjoy chopping it up. So appreciate you, you coming with, uh, the gas this week. It was was fun. Yeah. Always fun. Always fun to talk about stuff like this. Uh, you know, kind of what you said earlier, we got spring games this weekend and next weekend and draft. So we'll we'll be diving even more into football. And then you got basketball, transfer portals, signings. You know, we got Chet Holmgren going to Gonzaga. Who knows uh, what other big dominoes might fall. So we'll still have some newsy stuff coming up. But, uh, you know, it's always fun to have some hypothetical combos like this, too. All right. Sounds good, H. We'll talk soon. All right, man. All right. Thanks as always to Harold and thanks to Ben for joining the show this week. A lot of good stuff from both and um, a lot of good stuff, you know, from Harold as always, who always brings it, comes prepared, is ready to chat, makes it easy for me. I just kind of, I'm kind of the Dwayne Wade lobbing it up to Harold, who's LeBron, who throws it down at the alley-oop every week and does a much better job at recalling, explaining, informing so shout out to Harold and uh, we'll keep doing it big every week and lead us into the summer with some content for all the fans out there all right one more shout out Julie Bronder stitching producing editing the show as always um, definitely appreciate her for doing that want to remind the fans the listeners the audience to find us on the traditional podcast platforms your Apple podcasts Google Play Spotify, Podbean, leave a rating and review. Um, definitely prefer them to be positive, but hey, if you don't like the show, it's okay as well. And I have uh, talked it up on you know, pretty much every episode for the past year and, and sometimes reference it, but we are on YouTube as well if you want to see the interviews play out. We've been doing all of these on Zoom as we've worked from home um, in the last 13, 14 months or so. Um. It's always fun to kind of see, you know, what the guests are reacting to, see their expressions. A lot of them are very interactive. So definitely check that out on the Big Ten Network's YouTube channel. And there is a playlist for the Take Ten podcast on there. So subscribe on the visual medium as well. All right. That'll do it for this week. We'll be back soon. And we'll talk to you next time here on the Take Ten podcast.